You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. One of the stories that we read in Acts chapter 5 doesn't look much like good news. In fact, it looks the opposite of good news and We read that people, um, when they saw this happen, they were filled with fear. And so the challenge tonight is to find the good news in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So that that is the challenge. Hopefully we can do that. But just a little bit of background. Um, So what is Acts all about? Well... As Josh said, it's the spreading of good news, or also known as the gospel, which is about the name of Jesus Christ, or salvation coming through Jesus Christ, and the kingdom. And where was this good news going to spread? We read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the start of this book. This is Jesus talking to his followers, to his disciples. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the furthest parts of the earth. Jesus wanted this good news to spread right around the world, everywhere. And it would start in Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 5, that is where the disciples are, that's where they are. And Jimmy, who led last week's class, showed this slide, and it just gives you an idea of the breakdown of Acts and the spreading of this good news and where this good news was spreading different parts through Acts. So we're in chapter 5, and so um, we're still based in Jerusalem. And then it won't be till chapter 8 where that good news starts to spread outside of Jerusalem. Now last week, um, Jimmy looked at Acts chapter 4, which is a good lead into the things we're going to look at tonight. In Acts chapter 4 verse 4, we read, But many of those who had listened to the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So this Jesus movement was growing. It was growing. 5,000 is a pretty big number. And people were hearing this message that the disciples or the apostles were teaching. And they were also seeing some pretty remarkable things. They were seeing miraculous signs. They saw, um, in chapter 4, a lame man healed, a lame man from birth healed and that was just one of many um, miraculous things that, that um, people were seeing. But there was opposition. There was strong opposition to this movement. Does anyone know who were not enjoying this, um, this growing excitement around um, this Jesus movement? Who, who, who was in opposition to this? Does anyone know? Yeah. Yep, so the Pharisees, in fact, so 
most of the religious leaders at the time were in complete opposition to what was happening. Complete opposition. They were the ones who had put Jesus to death. And now there is this um, movement that this Jesus, who they'd put to death, was raised from the dead and who was the one whom people would be saved through. So um, in, in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, we read that while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the commander of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, angry because they were teaching the people and announcing in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them, put them in jail until the next day. So they are, they are ropeable. They are not happy at all about this. They didn't agree with the message that was being preached. Um, and we learn in chapter 5 that they, they got to a point where it says that they, would, they were jealous. So they weren't just angry. This was being fueled by jealousy. They hated that others were, were stealing their limelight. Um, and also questioning their authority. So they throw Peter and John in prison, and the following day they bring all the top religious leaders, including the high priests, and they make Peter and John stand before what's called the Sanhedrin. And Jimmy showed us this picture last time. It would have been an incredibly intimidating setting. Peter and John were made to come in here with the lame man, and... This could have been the end of their life. The Sanhedrin here would have the authority to um, put them to death. And there was a very real possibility of that happening. And we'll we'll see that again come up. So their life is really in danger at all times as they spread this message. It was courageous, very courageous. And so as they stand before this Sanhedrin... They ask the question in verse 7 of Acts chapter 4, by what power or by what name do you do this? Who has given you the authority to question us as the religious leaders and to stand in opposition to us? Who has given you the authority to do that? And so what's Peter's answer in this incredibly intimidating, scary place? Well, Peter, one of the disciples, he does not backtrack at all and he doesn't try to protect himself at all. If it was me, I would probably have just tried to backtrack and talk my way out of it and not offend anyone. But Peter doesn't do that at all. He answers, um, and his answer left many people in that room astonished. His answer was this in verse 10. He said, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands before you healthy. And by this man, he's pointing to the lame man. He says, if you want to see the authority, look at this man who's been healed That speaks to our authority, that it's coming from God and his son who you crucified. So um, uh, not only were many people in that room amazed at how bold this was, 
they weren't used to people standing up to the religious leaders like this. Many were left speechless, we're told. And but they they that they couldn't they couldn't do much because there was the man who was standing right next to them who had been healed. And what they say to Peter and John is, they say, we want you to stop teaching. You just have to stop. No more teaching. But Peter and John answer, that is impossible. We can't. We cannot stop. And so they're let go. They're told to stop preaching. And the result of these events was, instead of deterring this movement, it actually galvanised this movement. And it gave people more courage to keep preaching, to keep standing up to these religious leaders. They felt that God was with them and they'd seen the power of God's Holy Spirit at work. Peter's boldness of risking his own life to spread this good news meant that other believers prayed to God for similar courage to do the same thing. And in verse 31 of chapter 4, we read, When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God courageously. So this was a very powerful event. The room starts shaking like the walls were, were about to fall over. It would have been incredibly powerful. And then we come to chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. And we read that the group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and no one said that any of his possessions were, was, was his own, but everything was held in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was on them all for there was no one needy among them because those who were owners of lands and houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds for the sales. Now we said at the outset that the good news or the gospel which means good news was about the, the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And right here in those verses just that we just read is a little snapshot of the kingdom, of what the kingdom will be like. It says that people were of one heart and one mind. There was true connection and love for each other and they had found a common purpose. No one was needy, everyone was looking after each other. And this sounds exactly like a family. It was like a family. A family united by God and his son Jesus. And that is a brilliant example of the power of this gospel or this good news. That's the power of it. It can, it can bring people together as a family from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different upbringings, the gospel has the power to bring people together and to unite people like a family. And ultimately, that is what God wants from this good news that spreads. But 
(laughs) But something is about to happen that will cause all of these believers great fear. And we want to look at this event that happens. And the thing that causes this great fear is the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And it was designed for that very thing. So it was designed to, I think, to create fear for people to stop and to really think. So that's what we're going to do tonight, is we're going to stop and really think what these things meant and the significance of them. And Ananias and Sapphira, and some of you will know this story really well, others may not, um, but we'll look, at it, we'll look at it in some detail tonight. But it's a story that I've struggled to understand for most of my life, and, it, and it's just a story that um, I first learnt about in Sunday school, where maybe a lot of you first learnt about this story, and it's, it's just been a story that I've always felt uneasy about. Um, probably because um, we live in a world where there are lots of bad people who are doing really bad things and they don't drop dead. And the Bible has lots of examples of bad people doing far worse, it appears, than what Ananias and Sapphira do and they don't drop down dead. In fact, there, there will be characters later on in the book of Acts who I would consider far more worthy of severe punishment than what Ananias and Sapphira do. So, when we come across these types of of stories that seem to be out out of the ordinary or out of character of how God commonly responds to these situations, we need to really stop and listen and try to understand what God is trying to teach. Because this was designed to shock people, to put fear in people, that would teach a lesson that would help people for generations and generations to come. These events are not designed to teach a room full of people something. These events are designed to teach generations of people something very important. This event cost the lives of two people, but it was designed to save the lives of generations to come. And so there are two key lessons, I believe, that that we're meant to learn from this story. So these are the, hopefully we see these lessons come out. Lesson number one is that faith in Jesus saves, not good deeds. And I think this is a very important lesson that needed to be taught at the very start of this new um, movement, um, this good news, that there is a huge distinction in how people are saved and that faith in Jesus is what saves, not doing good deeds. And lesson number two is that God values honesty. And so we'll, we'll look at these as we go through it. So what actually happens to Ananias and Sapphira? So we read a little earlier of, of a little snapshot of the kingdom 
where believers were filled with God's Holy Spirit, we're told, and were of one heart and one mind. And they found purpose in God and, and in Jesus. And so people started selling possessions. And they did this um, to disperse to others who needed, who needed support. Verse 34 to 36, we read, For there was no one needy among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing them proceeds from the sales and placing them at the apostles' feet. The proceeds were distributed to each as anyone had need. And in verse 36 of chapter 4, we're introduced to a man named Barnabas. And Barnabas is someone that we'll learn more of as, as, you go, as we go through Acts. Um, and we read about Barnabas in verse 36. It says, So Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. So here's just one example of people who are doing this. Giving generously, giving of all their possessions. And Barnabas sells his whole land and gives all the money he gets for it and he lays it at the disciples' feet. Now, here's, here's, the, here's a question. Why were people doing this? Why were people selling their possessions and giving it to the disciples? So they, they, there was a clear purpose. It was to give to others. They saw a need and it was to give to others. Or, if you simplify it even further, people were selling their things because they wanted to sell their things. They wanted to sell their things. This was not a forced behaviour. And that's really, really important to this story, to understand they were moved by the power of this good news and suddenly their possessions looked so powerless to them or worthless to them in this context. Now, here's another question. What was the risk of people seeing others doing this? It's a bit more of a, maybe a bit more of a tricky question, but what, if you think of people just looking from the outside and looking in and then you've got people selling their possessions and going and taking it to the disciples. And this, this is a new movement, it's the Jesus movement. If you're watching this and you're trying to learn what this movement is all about, what is the risk of people seeing that? Or a conclusion, a wrong conclusion that someone might draw? That's right. That's right. Or... There's, this is like a ticket into this new movement. And if you want to be part of this, you need to go and sell what you have and there's a price. There's a price for this. Okay? So that was a risk. Okay? And suddenly, being saved through faith in Jesus would turn into something very different. It would be being saved by doing a good deed or by doing good things. And then that would take people right back to a place they had been before, which was under the law of Moses. And that was where people were following a set of rules which they thought if they 
followed all of these rules and they did what they were supposed to, then that would be what would be the thing that saved them. But it couldn't really. And that's how quickly humans can get things mixed up. And straight after we read of this, of people selling things because they want to, because they want to help people, in the very next chapter, we read of the example of Ananias and Sapphira who make this exact mistake. And so we'll read chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. He kept back for himself part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. He brought only part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's an interesting play on words, just, um, just quickly here. So, this is straight after the example of Barnabas, who sold his whole land and he brings all the money to the apostles. We're told here that Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of their property and bring part of that piece. And what this was, was a premeditated act. It was designed to be dishonest. And both Ananias and Sapphira thought that nobody would know. And what it shows is that they weren't giving this land up or their possessions, having been moved, having been moved by the good news, but in order to be seen to be doing something good. And what we're about to find out is that there is a huge difference between the two. Now, what was the real problem? Because um, I, I talked before about the danger of, of what could quickly happen is people going back to thinking that good deeds would save them and then going back to what was happening under the law of Moses. And there was one really big problem with the law of Moses. Does anyone know what the the big standout problem was with the law of Moses? One thing that the law of Moses could not do is it could not save people. Now... The gospel or the good news was all about how people can be saved. The law of Moses was designed to prepare people for this moment, to help them understand the right way to live and hopefully get people to learn that it was more about just doing things. It was about being changed as a person. But if someone were to follow the law of Moses their whole life to learn every single detail of that law, to follow it perfectly their whole life, every single day, they would still die at the end of their life because the law of Moses could not save someone. And that's what we're going to see very powerfully here. So Ananias comes to Peter with this money that he's got and Peter knows, doesn't he? He knows straight away what's happening. And he asks Ananias four questions. These are the four questions. He says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep part of the proceeds from the sale of your land? And he says, Before you sold the land, 
didn't it belong to you? And then after it was sold, um, weren't the proceeds completely at your disposal? And then finally he says, how have you thought up this deed in your heart? Now just a side note here. It's easy to read maybe the first question and conclude that some supernatural being had in fact caused Ananias and Sapphira to do this thing. But I think if we look at question number four, we kind of get the answer to that because question number four, where it says, how have you thought up this deed in your heart, shows exactly where this this idea came from. It didn't come from a third party. It came from the very heart of Ananias. That's where it came from. Ananias thought up this deed. And Peter says to Ananias, clearly you didn't want to give away your possessions. So why did you feel compelled to do it? Why did you do it? No one told you that you had to go and sell the land. He really stresses this point. And he says, Ananias, even when you sold the land, even when you'd sold it, someone had bought it, and you got all the money for the land, even then, that was your money. You could have done whatever you wanted with that money. You didn't have to give... You you could have given 10% of that money. You could have kept all of that money. That was your money. No one asked for your money. What Peter is, I think, is trying to stress is that no one was requesting that people had to go and sell their lands. No one was. It wasn't a down payment in order to be saved, or it certainly was not a way of people to appear to be righteous. He says that the only person, Ananias, that you've lied to is God. It's the only person you've lied to. Now, it was a few months ago when I was um, was chatting to um, Jimmy, who is not here tonight, he's usually here on a Tuesday night, and I was chatting to Jimmy, and it was just after it was just after Sunday school. I'd arrived here, and he'd just finished teaching a Sunday school class about Ananias and Sapphira, and I remember that Jimmy asked me. He said, "Who killed? Who do you think killed Ananias and Sapphira?" And I said, "Oh, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. I know the story. Like that, it's God." And he looked at me as if I wasn't. I wasn't right. And I thought, I thought, mm, if it wasn't God who killed Ananias, I thought maybe, I, th- I said, did Peter kill? Did, was it Peter who was standing there? And Jimmy never told me. And it wasn't until I was looking at um, the story again to, put, to do the, the class tonight that I remember that conversation that I had. And I think that I have the answer to Jimmy's question. But he, he can tell me afterwards if, if I'm not right. But I think the answer is very important. So does anyone know who killed Ananias and Sapphira? Well, let's, should we read? Let's read. Let's read what happens. Verse 5 of Acts chapter 5. Because I think this, the, the Bible here is trying to tell an important story. Okay? Verse 5 of chapter 5. When Ananias heard these words, he collapsed and died. And great fear gripped all who heard about it. Now, about three hours later, in verse 8, Sapphira shows up. And she doesn't know what's happened. And in verse 8, Peter says to her, Tell me, were the two of you paid this amount for the land? And Sapphira says, Yes, 
That's exactly how much we, we will pay for the land. And perhaps this was all part of the plan. So maybe the plan was Ananias would show up, he'd give the money to, the, to Peter, and then he'd say, yeah, this is all the money we got for the land. And then maybe he said, okay, Sapphira, you come three hours later, and then you can confirm that, that, you know, confirm that that was right, and then that'll be the lie, and everyone will believe it. So she shows up three hours later, confirming this lie. And in verse 9, Peter told her, Why have you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And in verse 10 it says, At once she collapsed at his feet and died. So when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we read what it says and then we read between the lines. And that's important to do as well. So I think if you read between the lines, I think what we can conclude is that God was involved in the death of Ananias and Sapphira. God was, God was teaching a lesson here. I don't think there's very little doubt about that. But if you don't read between the lines and if you just read what happens... Who killed Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias, he just claps, he hears the words that Peter say and he collapses and dies. Same thing happens to Sapphira. She hears what Peter says and then she just collapses and dies. Now, there's a story, and, I, and I, this is, I think, when, when I think of this story, my, main, my brain always goes to another story about a man named Uzzah. And because like, a similar thing happened to Uzzah. And if you don't know the story, um, it's when they're transporting the Ark of God and they didn't follow exactly how the law stated that they should transport the Ark of God. And they put it on a cart. And as they were wheeling this cart along, it hit a pothole and the cart sort of wobbled. And it was about to fall over and this man named Uzzah stopped it and touched the Ark of God. Now, what happened to Uzzah was he drops dead. But in that situation, when you read the story, it says that the anger of God was, was um, brought upon Uzzah and that God killed Uzzah in that very moment. But this story reads very differently. Here, Ananias drops dead. Sapphira drops dead. We know that somehow God is involved in this, but why does the story read like that? I think that's a really important question that we need to ask. Well, perhaps, perhaps it's written like this to show that when humans try to get salvation, try to be saved, try to save themselves maybe, through any other means than by faith in Jesus, that will result in us dying. They just died. Now, this could have been the end of their life. It was going to be the same result. So if, if they didn't drop dead at that point, if they were trying to gain salvation through what they thought was the right way to do it, they were going to die at the end of their life. This is just happening prematurely to show a really important lesson that works don't save. 
they don't save. And this put fear through all of those people. They thought, why has God done this? Why has he caused them to die? This was God showing that there is only one way that people will be saved. And it's not going back to the law of Moses. It's not going back to follow laws and rules. It is only through the good news. It's the only way people will be saved. And this new church established itself um, with Jesus as their cornerstone. And it was such an important lesson for people to learn. Great deeds without our heart being changed doesn't save. Faith in Jesus saves. Now, this cost two people their lives, but it would save many, many thousands of people their life, okay, um, for generations to come. Now, the second lesson that comes out of this story is that God loves honesty. And this is also another really important lesson. We can't hide our hearts and our true intentions from God. Ananias and Sapphira thought that they could, but they couldn't. They couldn't hide it from God. Now, when Jesus came on earth, we're told that Jesus would come as a light to this world. And that light would shine and provide people with a clear path that they could follow. Almost like in a world of darkness, there would be this light that would show people the the way to go, the path to follow. But what that light also did was to shine into people's hearts. That's the other thing that it did. It shone into people's hearts and it would show what was really in their hearts. It would would bring things that were in darkness out into the light, okay? Um, Now, each day, we're given opportunities to either be honest or to be a little dishonest. Every single day, there's multiple times that we're given that opportunity. Now, sometimes when we're dishonest, we get caught out for our dishonesty. But usually, we don't. Usually, we don't. If, 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 we, if we're just a little bit dishonest with little things, usually, we do not get caught out for it. Often, there's no praise for being honest. And sometimes being honest comes at a cost for us. Sometimes the only thing to be gained from being honest is a cost for ourselves. No one is going to know any different if I'm not honest in most situations in life. So in that way, being honest, an honest person, is really, between, is, is really only between that person and God. That's the only people that true honesty is between, yourself and God. He's the only one who really knows. And this is good news. And I I want to tell you why this is really, really good news. Because as humans, we we often think that to, to please God, we need to do really big things, really great things in life. And, and I think this is a really, especially for the young people here, I think it's a really important, important lesson to know. God does not require us to do incredible deeds. He doesn't ask us 
to be incredibly righteous people. Now, when I was growing up, and I grew up through Sunday school, and I went, would go every Sunday, and I would go um, on, uh, to, to youth groups and all of these different things. And for a long time, I misunderstood what God really wanted from me as a person. In fact, for a long time, I thought that I was not the sort of person that would ever be someone that God really wanted because I liked stuff that godly people weren't meant to like. And I was interested in things that godly people weren't meant to be interested in. And I wasn't necessarily interested in what I thought godly people should be interested in. And I thought, that makes me a bit of a misfit here. I'm just not right for this. I'm not, I'm not the sort of person that God really wants or that God really values. Now, the good news is, is that God values the smallest things in life. And one of the most precious things we could ever give God is by being an honest person. No one is ever going to know. No one's going to know. But every opportunity we have each day to either be dishonest for our own little gain or honest, that is something that God values more than any great deed that we could ever offer. Okay? Um, it's a really important thing to know. God's not looking for perfect, righteous people who present as <laughs> these incredibly righteous people. He's looking for people who will do the little things when they're given the opportunity. Another thing that we've seen is that, that God, he values generosity. We can all be generous. We can all be honest. We, we might, you know, I think some, sometimes you, you meet someone and you think, wow, what a person. Like, how, how incredible is that person? Or maybe you hear someone give a talk and you're like, oh, how, how do they do that? Or what, any, what a smart person that is. And you think, well, I don't have much to offer compared to someone like that. When you look at these stories in Acts, you see that the most precious things are things that anyone can offer to God every single day. It's the little things, and that's what God really desires. And that's what this movement is all built around. Um, now, when here's, here's two examples, just to illustrate this point, because it's not just here that this lesson comes out in the Bible. When a man named John the Baptist, who was a prophet, he was a prophet to come before Jesus came onto the scene, he, he was, his role was to get people ready for Jesus' coming. And it says that he was, he was known as the preacher in the wilderness. So he used to live in the wilderness and he used to preach about Jesus was coming to the earth and that people needed to change their lives. They needed to repent. They needed to change. They needed to be better, living the life that God wanted them to live. And so John the Baptist had all sorts of people coming to him and approaching him. And there's a story where um, a tax collector comes to him and this tax collector comes to John the Baptist and says, um, what would you have me to do? Like, he's preaching about repenting, changing ways. This tax collector comes. Now, remember that a tax collector was someone who was hated in, by the Jews. Hated. The tax collectors were seen as traitors. 
They were seen as taking from their own people. A lot of tax collectors were dishonest and they would take more than what they were right, rightfully should have. A lot of tax collectors were rich and they were just seen as someone who were the, the most outcast person you could think of was a tax collector. Tax collector comes to John the Baptist and says, what should I do with my life? And John says, just take what is owed to you and nothing more. Don't go and quit your job. Don't think you've got to find a new, better, more righteous job. He says, don't take more than what's owed to you. Live honestly. That's it. (laughs) And then we then read that soldiers come to him and the soldiers say to him, what should we do? How should we change our lives? And what does John say? John the Baptist says, don't go looking for a different occupation. He says, he says this, don't, just don't take money by use of violence and be happy with your paycheck. Live honestly. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So we often um, get, can get misled in our own heads as to what this good news is all about and how this good news was designed to change people, to do great, incredible things. No, it was to do the little things every day that was between a person and God, to live generously, to live honest lives. It's the power of the good news. Now, we'll move on quickly from Ananias and Sapphira. And because in verse 14 of chapter 5, we read that more and more believers in the Lord were added to their number, crowds of both men and women. And we read that people start bringing those who had illnesses. We're told that Peter and the rest of the apostles healed them. Um, but none of this helped to sway the anger of the religious leaders. In verse 17 of chapter 5, we read, Now the high priest rose up and all those with him, that is the religious party of Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And back to jail go the apostles. Straight by the only way that they could, they could stop this movement was to stop these people talking and preaching. Because the more they preached, the more this was growing. More people were, were being part of this. So they put them in jail. And the following day, the high priests, they call, they call the Sanhedrin again, get everyone back together. And they say, go and get the apostles again, bring them here. We've got to sort these people out. But as they go to try and locate them, they they can't find them. They go to the jail and they're not there. And little do they know that in verse 19, that an angel of, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the prison and led them out and said, go and stand in the temple courts and proclaim to the people all the words of this life. It's as though nothing was going to stop this, this, this happening. Nothing was going to stop this good news spreading. And you can imagine as people are sitting in the Sanhedrin here, all the murmurs that would start going around as news filtered through. They're not in prison. They can't find them. Perhaps they've run away. Perhaps they've finally, um, we've finally scared them off. They're gone. We probably won't see them again. And then imagine this, verse 25, someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in prison are standing in the temple courts and teaching the people. Can you imagine the anger that they would have had 
not only had they not run off and they weren't sitting in their prison cells, they were right back in the temple courts preaching the good news. And they were angry. And you can probably also um, imagine just a sense of powerlessness that they started to feel in trying to stop this good news spreading. And so they bring them again. They say, call Peter, John, the apostles, bring them here. Um, and they, they give them strict orders not to teach. They say, you just cannot stop teaching. And the, the apostles reply, we must obey God rather than people, especially people who crucified the Son of God. Um, and at this point, these religious leaders are so furious that they are ready to kill them. They are this close to killing the disciples in verse 33. And it's only the very wise words of a man named Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, who was one of the leaders, a very well-respected leader. It's only his wise words that stop them killing them. Now, what does he say? In verse 38, this is what Gamaliel says. He says, So in this case I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking originates with people, it will come to nothing. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop them. Or you may even find yourself fighting against God. What a wise thing to say. If this movement does not originate from God, it will fizzle out and come to nothing. But... If God is behind this, there is nothing you can do to stop this good news spreading. There's nothing you can do and you might find yourself getting in the way and fighting against God himself. Um, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. There's nothing. And so the spreading of the good news would continue. The apostles were released again. This time they were beaten. I thought we'll just give them a, a bit of a beating as they go. Maybe that will, you know, that, that will put them off a little bit. But verse 42, the end of chapter 5, they get right back to work. Oh. It said, And every day, both in the temple courts and from the house to house, they did not stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Christ. And so we'll leave it there tonight and then pick up in Acts chapter 6 um, next Tuesday. So thank you very much for... Um, your attention. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at b 
tf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.